0: The greatest job security is knowing how to get your own customer and knowing how to do your own thing really well and not rely on someone else.
1: Welcome to the Biology of Business where we talk about the anatomy and physiology of a business so you can apply your clinical reasoning skills to your business reasoning and create a healthy, sustainable, impactful and profitable clinic. I hope you enjoy listening and subscribe. Welcome to today's podcast. We've got the pleasure of being joined by Richard Stone from Model Decisions. Richard's background is as a finance director, but now he helps businesses really understand all the numbers in their practice or in their business so that they can ensure that their business is healthy and profitable. Richard has joined us today so we can really have a deep, in-depth conversation on why small businesses matter and why small businesses are critical to your community and your local and national economy. Welcome, Richard. Thank you very much for joining us from sunny Switzerland.
0: Thank you very much, Kate. Nice to be here.
1: Oh, tell me, is the sun shining outside your window today? I know you always have a glorious mountain view.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a lovely blue sky with a few clouds. So, I, I, yes, your your image is absolutely correct.
1: Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. So, we'll just listen up for the cowbells in the background.
0: Yeah, I'm afraid I, I have to give one small excuse. You may actually hear building noises instead because there's a... A house being built two houses away, and every now and then there's a a dreadful noise, so hopefully that won't happen.
1: So, Richard, you're very keen that people understand that it's not just the financial numbers that matter in their business, but all of the numbers that matter in their business. Can you just explain why that is?
0: Well, that's absolutely correct, and it's exactly what what we're about. Um, I like to say that it, it isn't all about the accounts, and the accounts, remember, are Effectively, they're us adding up the results of what has happened um, and we're always looking backwards with the accounts and we may get some insight out of them, but we get more insight when we, A, look at, at numbers that are measuring what's going to happen and also when we can relate the accounts to something in our business, something that we actually understand. Okay, The example um, I'm going to give you that that, that we've talked about is... Let us assume that you're a business that collects things. So I'm working with a scrap metal merchant at the moment and they collect scrap. Okay, so the example there is if they have an increased cost of haulage in one month, that might look like a bad thing. But if they already know that they've collected, I don't know, say 25% more scrap than they would normally do, then they'd be expecting to have a higher cost. And that higher cost isn't then necessarily a bad thing so we need to relate what's happening in our accounts to what's actually happening in the business in the operation i mean business is about the business it's not about the accounts okay strange thing for an accountant to say but true um so we're very much interested in how people collect their operational information what we do with that operational information, what systems they have, and getting those systems to effectively combine in their reporting so that they really do see the picture of what's happening in their business. Okay, so for us, it's know all your numbers.
1: So by knowing all your numbers, you've been in a proactive situation in terms of your knowing what it is that you need to do what the future and the forward order book looks like, rather than the 18-month-old retrospective output data that the accountant gives you to submit to HMRC.
0: That's absolutely true, and that would lead us, and, and we'll not be too distracted on it, but that then leads us on to frequency of reporting because that's another thing that we get excited about. Um, that reporting has to be more frequent. It has to be frequent. It has to be quick so that you can relate what's in front of you to what you remember has happened.
1: Yeah. So what you're describing here and highlighting is how small businesses, medium businesses, well, all businesses are live, living things, and we need to be able to be reactive and proactive and be able to respond to the data that we're, we're and information that we're receiving right now rather than something that's been months old.
0: Absolutely correct. You know, I like to say that businesses are just a collection of people running around doing things, and they are. Okay, and, and some people will argue that some online businesses aren't, but they are really. There's still a collection of people making decisions and doing things. <clears throat> All right. So what we're really measuring is what are they doing? We only, ever, we only ever change anything when we change what people do. That will change the numbers. So we have to measure what people do and relate them to the numbers.
1: And something you're absolutely passionate about is small and medium-sized businesses and how critical they are to the economy. And that's where you um, mostly serve people is with the small and medium-sized businesses, because if they can be alive and thriving, then there is a positive um, output for the, the community and the, the economy. Can you just explain, Richard, about what do you see as being the real benefits of small businesses?
0: Oh, well, here we go. I mean the, the the first the first point and and I'm going to be careful not to try and use too many numbers because I don't know them. There you go. Um but they are the the backbone of the economy. They're the backbone of the UK economy and they're the backbone of the German economy. We know that and you know I would assume they're the backbone of every economy. We always get um sort of starry-eyed about the big names that we see but the the most people are employed small to medium-sized businesses so that is just a a fact um i suspect i haven't measured it but i suspect that from a governmental perspective they probably collect far more tax from a small and medium-sized business than they do from the bigger ones not only because there's more of them but generally they're not spending their time trying not to pay the tax so you know they they actually do drive the economy completely so that's a pretty key reason um from a perspective of a consumer though so that's good from government or an economy but from the perspective of of even a consumer i think they're very very important for everything so i and and i have to i suppose a disclaimer is i tend to go and use small businesses when i can or wherever i can Um, so why is that and i think that's partly. because they try harder and they do try harder. And you're a small business and I'm a small business and and, and I think we do try harder. Um, They try harder because there's a much closer connection between the owner and the business, or if you're working with employees, there's a much greater connection, much closer connection between those employees and the owner of the business. Um, we had a, an example not long ago, just in art. In, in one of the things that we deal with personally, we were trying to get some, um, scrap collected from a particular site. And we were talking to a, to be fair, still probably a smallish business, but bigger business. And they, they were so bound by their corporate rule, which we didn't quite fit into that they just couldn't, they just weren't interested in helping us. They just weren't interested in helping us. And it was like, well, you've got to go through this credit control, and you've got to go, well, can I pay up front, please? No. Another business, a rather smaller one, you know, the the admin people put me straight onto the owner, who was quite prepared to take my money up front, oddly enough, and and performed a brilliant service for us. So there's that, that connection, there's flexibility. There's their ability to change, um, and to, to fit what their customer wants. I find that that to me is very, very important, but it's also important that a small business gets known in its community. Um, and those people who are running those businesses are contributing directly to their community. And we find that living here, we were talking about it just this morning there aren't that many big chains around. So there are quite a lot of, of little businesses. And we, we really like the fact that you're going in and seeing somebody and then you see them around and they're part of that community. They are the whatever. Um, and so that that binds a community together, I think, far more than a big name with young people on zero hours contracts where they don't really care. So um There's also the fact that this is where our competition comes into place. This is where the, what I like to call the diversity of offer comes into place. You don't get cookie cutter businesses. You get different businesses offering slightly different things. So you, you, that creates the, the richness of a community and of our economy. Right? So that's, um, I think, very, very important. And um, and finally, I think, and this is perhaps arguable, but it's my view that they're what I like to call a repository of expertise because the career path of many people is either that they go and work for a, a, a larger business to get their expertise and then they go and do something on their own. I mean, two cases in point sitting here right now. And the other is they may in fact have learned their expertise through most of their life in that very small business. So they have a very generally have a very, very deep level of expertise. Um, And I know, you know, there is a flip side to that in that they don't necessarily have the spread of expertise that you might find in a bigger business or the breadth, because there aren't necessarily that many people. Um, But you solve that by, finding other small businesses, I suppose.
1: No, it's really interesting. I was just reading, totally by coincidence, last week I was reading this book to my son by the Tuttle Twins. The Tuttle Twins are a series of books that help children learn about how the world works. And this particular one, um, the show business, the the two twins in it set up their own theatre company. They go to New York, love the theatre, and recognise in their own small town there isn't a theatre their granny had a shut down ballet school and they recognized they had the opportunity to use granny's ballet school space to set up a theater in their town. But granny was only going to let this happen if they could prove that they had a robust business model. So they had to, these two twins who I guess when you read in the book at 10 or 11 had to prove what their business plan was and answer a series of questions before granny would let them uh, use the, the, Theatre school used the building, use the dance school for for a theater. And they worked out, you know, how much they were going to repay Granny, what they were going to be able to take themselves, what they needed for costumes and a refit. And they did their first production. And of course, it went very, very well. But then they recognised just as they finished the first production, another theatre company has opened up on the other side of town. So initially they have a moment of panic. But then Granny reassures them that actually competition is a good thing for small businesses because it will stra- lead the two theatre companies to differentiate themselves and their offering so that the town actually ends up with more choice of entertainment rather than no choice of, of theatre entertainment.
0: You know, that's uh, taking us into another, another subject that I find interesting, which is... The view we have of competition there are very I think there are very very few businesses that compete as directly as they think they do. <clears throat> um, and, and most competition really gives rise to opportunities for collaboration, more than competition. So you know even what's a good example of direct competitors? I suppose if you've got two franchised um, car dealers. you've got an audi one and a mercedes one then they are pretty directly in competition but if you've got two uh you know small garages maintenance providers almost definitely one of them will have more skills in one area and another one will have more skills in another area and if the guys actually get to know girls get to know each other they're probably far more likely to be saying, you know what, I don't really want to do this piece of work because that lot over there are much better at that. And so they'll serve the customer better, in fact, by having what they see as a competitor on the ground. Um, I'm not quite sure how to relate that to theatre, but I'm sure it's true.
1: <laughs> well, Granny said it was a good thing and not to worry.
0: But granny's always right. <laughs>
1: The end of the book referenced um, a a, a book by some uh, famed economists, uh, Ludwig von Mises and F.A. Hayek. uh, And the book was called The Competition of Entrepreneurship, which I have to admit I hadn't heard of, but did look up. And the authors uh, say on the, the cover of the book that society's course will be changed only by a change in ideas. And they really promote the entrepreneurship being critical to the economy and critical to society because it's through entrepreneurship that we get experimentation and discovery and new uh, opportunities emerge.
0: And I'd be arrogant enough to slightly debate what they said and say that society's course will only be changed by changing what we do. It's not just about ideas. And that reflects straight back to what I was saying at the beginning. It's only about what we actually do. And as we, as we said, you know, in a smaller business, they've got the opportunity to change what they do quickly, and to care about what they do. Perhaps I think more than than certainly my view of of many big businesses, and that's a little unfair because there are some excellent excellent big businesses, but there's also some that are frankly appalling. And we've all spent our hours and hours and hours on on, uh, you know, phone lines waiting for poor service, but you don't tend to get that do you from a small business. So that's, you know, I, they're obviously they're writing what they say, but, but it is all about what we actually do, right? And, um, it is the small business that will do that, I believe.
1: So what we actually do in terms of making our ideas come to life. So if you have an idea as an entrepreneur, then actually making it happen, not just sitting with the idea and talking about the idea, but implementing the idea and making it come to life. And also then proactively, I'm guessing choosing to purchase from other small businesses, because if you're hoping that people are going to purchase from you, it somehow just seems a risk. Oh, and with, without thing, question.
0: Absolutely, without question. I, I I sometimes smile that when I when I trundle around LinkedIn and I laugh at LinkedIn a bit because everybody, me included, but everybody, everyone on LinkedIn is selling. Everyone. So there's, you know, no one's out there going. you know what? I really need to buy this service, which is a, is a bit of a shame because they they will all be needing services and no no one's actually trading properly. But this, the small business community should be buying from small businesses. Are they? I don't know. Do they? Let's think about some of the reasons we might not buy from a small business. You know, and again, we just thought about this. I mentioned one earlier, they may have a lack of spread. So you know, if I take my profession as the obvious example, your local high street firm of accountants may be absolutely excellent and they may have a great depth of experience. But they won't necessarily have someone who could help you with international taxation or something, you know, as esoteric as that. So you'll end up potentially working with one of the big ones because they have that breadth of expertise. So as a, and as an example, they have, and this is really important right now, that smaller businesses will have a lack of resilience compared to big ones. So when times get difficult, topical, those businesses are more likely to suffer and that might be a reason people don't want to use them well that's a reason we need to use them because they need they need that consistency of support um same thing regrettably to be a little bit more negative but they are will be perceived as having a lack of financial strength so that if anything did go wrong in your relationship with them there's not as much to go after so you know, you are a little bit more exposed, I suppose. The risk is slightly higher. And they don't have the brand power. You know, they, they, they don't have that recognition of something. You know, the old adage that nobody got fired for buying IBM, which is very old now. <laughs> but it was, it was an adage. Um, so we tend to go for the brand. And, and in some cases, that brand has been very well built up based on a lot of quality and in some cases it's just been built up on good marketing so your smaller business that hasn't got that behind them um but you know they suffer a little bit because there are not that many small businesses this is not true of all who can compete on price with a major right and it's it's actually incumbent when we talk about what we do we also need to talk about what we do. So it's up to us to be prepared to spend a little bit more to make sure that the small business that we like to use is is still there. It's very very tempting, isn't it? Sometimes to go and get all the advice in the small business and then go online and see if you can get it cheaper. But yeah, you know, in the end, at the end of the day, they won't be there to give you that advice, and uh, it is incumbent on us to take those actions and and behave to those businesses as we rather wish they'd behaved to us.
1: And one of the perfect examples of this in the UK with our healthcare system is that an independent clinic owner could perceive that they're in competition with a free service provided by the NHS. But if that independent clinic owner takes the time to understand how what they offer is very different from what the NHS usually offers they'll recognise that they're probably not in competition at all for the person who's trying to proactively solve their health problems and wanting support to do so over a period of time.
0: Well, let's think about some of the things that might drive one to, to go to an independent clinic, not go to the local NHS provision. Um, I'm guessing and assuming every single one of these these things completely off the cuff, but one, you can probably get seen more quickly Um, and generally when you're hurting or you have something that's worrying you that's of inestimable value to have your question answered like now please Um, quite often I would imagine that the environment into which you go is more pleasant um, and often people find healthcare things concerning so obviously a nice environment is, is a better thing to do Um, and then you get to see the same person generally, and that depends, I suppose, what the issue is, but where there is a, there is an issue of consistency of care, um, then that becomes important. Um, it's an interesting, when we, when we look at healthcare, it's interesting from our perspective, because we now live in a system that is so completely different to, to the UK system. So effectively nearly all care provision here is private so you know you you're covered by insurance you have to be covered by insurance would be a better way of pushing it and that healthcare is private and it is um quite different let's put it that way uh and bef- and if anybody is now sitting there thinking but what about people that can't pay the insurance then they've got that covered so that the way they deal with people who can't afford their care is they pay for the ins- the state pays for the insurance. It's the way around that they do it, but the net result is you get seen very quickly, you get seen in quite a lot of comfort, um, and you get the consistency of care. So, from my perspective, I'm a bit biased maybe, but I'm a, a huge supporter now of of an independent clinic. The only question is how potentially how I. I, as an individual, might fund that. But the the delivery of service is so much better.
1: And there's Uh, a recognition that free costs, there is a cost of free in terms of how you sit on waiting lists, not getting your choice of practitioner. The cost of free can be extremely high and something that a lot of people are not willing to tolerate.
0: I like that expression. There is a huge cost to being free. It's absolutely right. Um, And also... I don't know, I think it's, it's back to the connection, isn't it? It's back to that clinician having, and this is unmeasured, so it's just thought about, but having that connection to their own business. And, and, and it, I've just talked about consistency of contact from the, from the patient's point of view, but that must be just as important, if not more so, from a clinician's point of view, that, that you know, somebody you know, I don't know, you have a course of treatment, something, you come back a year later, it's the same person who's got that experience with you and, and you, you continue to build that relationship. fact, when I think about that good, good little anecdote, um, a friend of mine was an osteopath for many, many years and had his couple of little practices and, and, and did that. And he retired some time ago, um sort of driven out a bit by some of the rules within the osteopathy profession that was making being a a sole trader clinician almost impossible and i and i i saw him earlier in the year and he told me what he misses most is the ongoing relationship with those patients so there's people he got to know quite well Mm -hmm. of course he's had no contact with whatsoever since he retired so it's like a sudden end to that connection to his own community. So it, it works both ways.
1: So what you're describing, Richard, to, to sum up, if I've got this correct, is small businesses are critical to the economy because they make up, make up the bulk of the economy. Correct. Now also critical not just to the to the local economy but to the national economy and to the local community having access, ready access, to expertise.
0: That's absolutely right. and And I think it's... It's partly up to us to encourage people who have a desire to do their own thing to do their own thing.
1: And if there were no small businesses? Sorry? And if there were no small businesses, if everybody decided to remain employed in a corporate or large setting?
0: Well, a great example is the reliance that certain European countries have upon a certain provider of a certain product at the moment. If we all if we all have one or two providers of of product, you know we, we talk about. I mean, there's lots of effects, aren't there? We talk about competition, and I did mention that small businesses may struggle to match the price competition of of a large business. Fact remains: if you took away all the small businesses, the large business wouldn't be charging the prices they're charging.
1: Yeah,
0: they'd be free to charge whatever they like. Um they have a monopoly position if they have even a quasi monopoly position with you what what how do you have to affect what they do nothing i mean there's lots of, we could we could go on for hours about that but there's lots of examples well, it's about it's that.
1: critical to prevent also to prevent monopolies controlling our spend
0: completely when i you know i use that geopolitical example because it's so topical and so so such a great example of how over-reliance on one large supplier has weakened people's ability to frankly do anything right and that's a pretty huge example but it's still true that once you go and give over your i mean turn it round. there's a there's a a different example and perhaps a poor one but um there's a, a unfair perhaps i won't use the name series of stories about one large clothing retailer in the uk and they, what they tended to do with small businesses funnily enough who were supplying them is they would continue to order more and more and more and more until they took over the production capacity of that small provider and then they would start to say, well, now you need to do it cheaper or you need to do this or you need to do that. And, and often people go out of business trying to provide for this one customer who's a big customer who will remain nameless, just in case the story isn't true. Um, but it's, the other, it's also the flip side. If you buy everything from one supplier, that supplier owns you, yeah. as, we've, as we've seen. Also, I don't think that there's enough jobs around. With those big suppliers, so from a from a more more sort of political perspective, if you don't have a small business to employ most of the people in the country, what are they going to do what how's that going to play out on on a nation and and its finances and you know remember the uk is has always been known as a nation of shopkeepers. I also don't think it's in our probably in the human nature to all just You know. Let's look at it another way though, Kate. Um, why would you go and work for a big company instead of a small company or run your own business? And people will always say job security. And could you not argue that the greatest job security is knowing how to get your own customer and knowing how to do your own thing really well and not rely on someone else? Um, I have friends who work for, you know, significant sized businesses in London, whatever, they're not comfortable. None of them are sitting there thinking, well, I work for so-and-so, I'm fine. They're thinking more like, I work for so-and-so, what on earth am I going to do if? Whereas once you've learned, and let's not um, perhaps minimize that it can be quite a An interesting learning curve but once you've learned to run your own business and to get your own customers and you know effectively hunt your own hunt your own if you like that's job security
1: self-sufficiency
0: it is that's right so i think you know i'm as you know clearly a fan (laughs) but i believe it's very 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 important to run a small business if you have it in you to support small businesses if you're a cons- just, a con- just a consumer, both if you're both.
1: So just to conclude, Richard, if you had one tip for the small business owner that was critical for them to navigate the next few years, what would be that one uh, skill tip or piece of knowledge that they really need to, to keep a focus on to navigate the, the lumpy seas we perhaps have ahead?
0: Well, I... I uh... I suspect that you're expecting me to say, know all your numbers, but I'm, I'm not, not going sure. to. But, not not, sure. but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm going to say, um, learn, internalize, and make yours the ability to get in front of prospective customers. Um, there are those that call that marketing. Um, but the moment we put names on things, we start to put up barriers. The fact is, you have to learn to get from prospective customers. That's the key skill. And you have to learn to um, understand that no means not yet and, and, and go on, you know? And of course, of course, keep a very good eye on your numbers, but the one skill <laughs> is good <get customers. laughs>
1: Thank you very much for your time today, Richard.
0: Very welcome. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you grow your practice for free. Firstly, grab a copy of How to Create a Super Successful Practice Plan at marklandsmethod.com forward slash grow. And whilst you're there, you can watch the free training to help you tackle the common problems clinic owners just like you face. Thirdly, at marklandsmethod.com forward slash grow, you can sign up for my free newsletter where I send out weekly hints, tips, and links to podcasts and other resources that you might find helpful and inspiring to grow your practice. And finally, please leave a five-star review so I can access more influential guests and speakers and bring their lessons back to you here. I have something really special to offer you. I'm going to be running a live in-person workshop. This event will give us an opportunity to meet one another. And during the workshop, I'm going to go through the seven fundamentals of practice profit planning. You're going to understand what it is that your clients really value about what you do so that you can make them an offer and trade your clinical expertise for an income which means that you have a profitable practice that's sustainable and take home pay for yours and your family's financial security. You'll get an opportunity to meet other like-minded clinic owners. I'm limiting the numbers because I want to make sure that you leave having had an awesome experience and with a complete plan. So click the link below and you'll find the details and I look forward to seeing you there.